Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about Toronto's chance at history in CCL, Sunday's electric Atlanta NYCFC game, Brian's argument about why FIFA should expand the 2018 World Cup, and why Gigi Buffon has a future in country music after his hit single, Trash Can for a Heart. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from Washington, D.C., where the weather is slightly better than it is here in flash flooding New York City. Brian, how are you, my man? Um, well, I, I, I would have to go outside to really experience that. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Sorry about your Washington Capitals to start off. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I had I had a uh, I saw a couple people tweet something like, you know, after they lost. I don't remember even which game it was, but someone said, oh, that's so on brand. You know, the Capitals <laughs> are so on brand right now. And it's actually not because t- typically they blow leads, right? You know, they blow they, they're famous for blowing uh, uh, two game leads and blowing home game sevens. And and, you know, you need a lead to blow a lead. You know, you need to game. You need to get to game seven to blow a game seven. So they're they're collapsing even like even earlier than normal, and so it's quite interesting to see. So it's a little change of pace. <laughs> so I'm actually going to be out next week um, for the podcast. So let's enjoy this one. I'm going to be in the wilds of Iceland for a few days for a story. Um, more on that later, but lots to talk about in the soccer world. You're going to the, uh, you're gonna go to the dentist. We've talked about this. The uh, national team coach of Iceland is a dentist. Yes. Hamir Holgrimson. I'm looking forward to seeing him. But um, in any case, uh, there's still a lot of soccer going on in European club soccer right now. We're getting into the games that matter most and even past them if you're talking about domestic leagues. And obviously MLS in full swing, Champions League for UEFA and CONCACAF. But I want to start with an MLS game from the weekend, Brian. Atlanta, NYCFC, um, two teams that are fairly new to the league, obviously, but uh, have really, I think, helped raise the level of the league and how they're going about doing things. And this game ended up 2-2, national televised game on Fox. Um, But for me, just a really fun game to watch. And I was wondering if you felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was uh, it was everything you'd want out of a game, which is to you know be entertained and drawn in, uh, you know, and absorbed for a couple hours to you know forget about the <laughs> forget about the rest of the world. No, it, it was it was well played. It was high intensity. The speed of it was just really impressive. Not something that we're typically seeing from your average MLS game over the years. The atmosphere was wonderful. There were, you know, 45,000 fans there. At one point, they all had their phones. I don't know what the tradition is going on now in Atlanta or what the catalyst of this was, but toward the end of the match, you had all, you know, 40-plus thousand holding up their phones, and it was just a really neat effect. Maybe it was their phones. Maybe there was some kind of giveaway. I have no clue. But uh, but both both Patrick Vieira and Tata Martino afterward, you know, said this is a – this was a really, really intense, high-level game. Uh, Greg Garza, I think, said it was like a national team game. Um, just the speed and the intensity and sort of the tactical chess moves and, and provocation and response uh, was really impressive and fun to watch. And 
And, um, you know, you could stay positive and say this is a, a great sign for the league going forward. You could be cynical and say this is the exception that proves the rule. Um, but either way, it was a good two hours. Yeah, I mean, I look at this as uh, I know you don't want to make too much of one game, obviously, but I I really do think at times I don't step back enough to say, like, the pieces have been put together in large parts of MLS for uh, a noticeable improvement in the league and, and what it brings to the table. And yes, I realize there are plenty of stadiums around the league where there are more empty seats than the announced crowd would indicate. That was certainly the case at Red Bull Arena over the weekend here in Jersey. Um, and yet, I liked the mix of this game in terms of players on the field for NYCFC in Atlanta. You had older stars like David Villa, um, you know, you had younger stars uh, like Miguel Almiron, like Ezequiel Barco, the $15 million transfer uh, teenager from Argentina who made his league debut for Atlanta. Um, you had a lot of good American players like Garza and Nagby and, and Brad Guzan and Michael Parkhurst. It, it just it felt like it felt like a real game, you know, and I, I just remember yesterday looking at the broadcast and then they're showing Patrick Vieira and Tata Martino on the sidelines. And you're and you're like, this required some money. You know, Martino and Vieira are the highest paid coaches in the league. Um, Barco obviously cost a lot of money via Almiron, Joseph Martinez. Uh, and yet you bring all those ingredients together. And I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, agreed. I uh, I have thoughts on all of that. Um, I also, of course, since this is a topic I harp on in terms of the 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 product, the display, what we're watching, the fact that you turned it on and could tell immediately who was playing and tell immediately where you were. This is something that that, that MLS continues to struggle with, and, and and I think it plays a role in why the TV ratings are are poor. You need recognition. And so when every team dresses the same and every stadium looks the same, you know, you're, you're basically watching single entity soccer. And so to turn on the TV, oh, red and black stripes, that's Atlanta. Sky blue shirts, that's NYCFC. You could tell the, the branding around the stadium. You know, they're not just a tenant. You know, they're part, they're, they're part not part owners, but I mean, you know, Arthur Blank owns, owns Atlanta and puts them at equal footing with the Falcons and you can see the branding around the stadium. So all of that production value, then obviously the quality on the field, um, seeing guys like ring and Tinner um, you know, Maxi Morales, you know, guys who aren't big names like, like, uh, like Pirlo and, um, and Lampard were, but you see NYCFC going for, for quality, um, over those big names and what a, what a difference that makes in the side. You see a coach like Tata Martino, um, if Bruce Arena and uh, could, could have figured out how to use Darlington Nagby or not to use Darlington Nagby, um, I think the U.S. is going to the World Cup. I think that was a huge factor in the losses to Costa Rica and Trinidad. Um, but Tata understands how to use Darlington Nagby and understands that he's a complimentary player. And when there's cover for him in midfield, that he can do some really nice things. Um, the, the speed at which Miguel Almiron plays and the fact that he was sort of shifted up top Right. So he could sort of drift wide, drift back, find spots. You know, he did. He had cover behind him and then the freedom to sort of move and find the ball, um, depending on how NYCFC was pressing. That was just really impressive, intelligent soccer. And then when he has the ball at his feet, 
the speed at which he goes with players and the speed at which he makes decisions is so impressive. Atlanta is not a team. I mean, there are people who like the tiki-taka, and that's great, but Atlanta attacks, and Atlanta takes space, and Atlanta, uh, you know, forces defenders into difficult positions on the front foot. And I just, it was, again, yeah, we're, we're just kind of repeating, but it was just a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I'm glad, you know, we, we always sort of talk about what games should we watch this week. I'm glad we, uh, glad we picked this one. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. Those two teams are the top two teams in the Eastern Conference of MLS right now. Before we get to the Toronto Chivas CONCACAF Champions League final, which starts on Tuesday, I actually want to talk about Toronto and Seattle in MLS. And I think this is a pretty direct result of them playing in Champions League, especially with Toronto and, and focusing on that. But Toronto and Seattle have made the final in MLS each of the past two seasons. And we just basically assumed, predicted that would be the case this season. And here they are in last place in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. You've got Toronto 14 points behind NYCFC, Seattle 13 points behind Kansas City. Granted, they haven't played as many games. Um, it's a weird situation. You have teams that have played four games in the MLS season so far. You have teams that have played seven. But is that point difference, that gap, starting to be a concern for them? I was actually wondering if 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 Toronto, you know, has already kind of lost the shield. Um, you know, if, if we're just at a point now where uh, NYC, FC, and Atlanta, and, and, and have already sort of cost themselves um, first place in the East. And my guess is they don't care. They, they shouldn't care. The, the, their priority is 100% right. I mean, Greg Vanny fielded essentially a B team uh, in Colorado this weekend and lost um, because he wants to beat Chivas on Tuesday. And that's what he should be doing. Um, you know, I, I've said for a long time that six teams from each conference is too many. It's too easy to make the playoffs. Um, I think I think Toronto will certainly appreciate the fact that they had that cushion this year. They will not have a problem making the playoffs, certainly. But first place may be gone for them. And so that means, you know, uh, you know, to get back to MLS Cup, Toronto is going to have to win the Eastern Conference, uh, probably in New York or in Atlanta. And that'll be compelling. That'll be interesting to see if they can get that result on the road when they need it. But let's talk about the CONCACAF Champions League final. We've got... Toronto. I'm excited. Yeah, Toronto against Chivas, just the third time in the 10-year modern format of the CONCACAF Champions League that an MLS team has reached the final. And it's fair to say, isn't it, that Toronto's the favorite, right? Yeah, I, I, I spoke to Greg Vanny a couple days ago about that. He, he's, he sort of laughed at the idea, of course, you know, and, um, and I agree. I mean, you know, it, it, it's the game is played on the field and, and you know, Chivas, Chivas held New York scoreless over 180 minutes of soccer. And so, you know, New York had their chances, obviously. We all saw it. Um, outshot them 20 to 1 in the second leg. Um, but in the end, the ball didn't go in the net. And so, yeah, Toronto's not going to take anything for granted. Um, nor do I think fans should. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I. It's a strange thing to see an MLS team on paper probably be better than a than a Liga MX team. It's a really really strange thing, and so it's hard to sort of wrap your head around. Um, but this is 180 minutes against a storied Mexican club, 90 of which are going to be in Guadalajara. The second leg is in Guadalajara, um, and so you know I, I don't think there are any favorites in this. I think it's uh, it's knockout soccer, and and a lot can go wrong, and a lot can happen. Toronto's got a few guys on the verge of suspension. 
Um, so rather than rather than say they're favorites, I would say this is the best chance an MLS team has had to win this competition by far. Um, and that's saying something. And so we'll see if Toronto takes it. Well, it's a great story. And uh, I really enjoyed watching Toronto in the knockout rounds of CONCACAF Champions League against very good teams uh, like Tigres, like America, and really just approach it spot on every game, it seems like. And they've taken advantage of being at home in the opening game, built leads in those two series. And against Club America, they didn't have the late near collapse that they basically had against Tigres, uh, where they eventually squeaked in thanks to that Jovinko free kick. But I just look at how Greg Vanny has approached all of this, how Toronto as a team has approached CONCACAF Champions League, and I think they've done everything almost perfectly to this point. You've got, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a formula to this, right? And obviously, you know, money is part of it, but you have guys who played a lot of big games. Um, you have you have depth, right? I mean, you, you miss Victor Vasquez, and Justin Morrow, and some guys like that, um, and, and, and you've developed over time, over a three- to four-year plan, guys you can fill in and, and play. You've got tactical flexibility. We've seen now this group be together long enough where Vanny's been able to play in a few different ways. Um, and, uh, and, and, and you made an excellent point, and Vanny made the same point, that they've been able to build leads. He's, you know, he said, we've had a lead in every series. And so there's this sort of consensus. This, you know, this is, this, is why, this is why we have an issue with the playoffs, right? We talk about this every fall, how the MLS playoffs do, do next to nothing to award the higher seed that's earned an easier road in the playoffs. And, and MLS will come back and say, well, you know, you, you get the second leg at home. But that's not necessarily an advantage. And, and, and Banny said essentially that playing the first leg at home has helped his team. That being able to go to Mexico with an now you've got to take the advantage, you've got to build it, but being able to go to Mexico with a lead has put his team in a far more comfortable position than it would have been the other way around. I mean, that's fascinating to me. And I don't know if you heard Merritt Paulson on last week's interview uh, on this podcast. When I asked him about the playoff format, he's on the competition committee. Um, he certainly is talking up one game playoffs instead of two legs. Well, and and I. I'm against that too. And, and, uh, <laughs> one game playoffs, uh, it, it makes the MLS Cup. You may as well not have a playoff, as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to decide a, a, an, an eight month regular season based on one game, where anything, you know, of course anything could happen in any game, anything could happen in a series, but one game is really, really hinges on bad bounces, injuries, referees. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to reduce your entire eight month season to 90 minutes, you know, why, why bother? You've made MLS cup a two to three <laughs> game tournament. That's going to be quite easy to win. Um, I, yeah, I disagree with merit there <laughs> fundamentally. The other thing it does is, is owners in all sports do this. This is not a, this is not a, an MLS problem. Owners in all sports on all North American sports want to make the championship as random as possible. It's in their interest to make it as random as possible because that way they can be shitty owners. I'm not saying Paris is a shitty owner, but I'm saying that you can be a shitty owner. You can, you can not spend that much. You cannot have good GMs or coaching and still like, you know, stumble your way into some kind of trophy every now and then. That's why we see the number of playoff teams increasing in every sport. The NBA and the NHL are now taught. I mean, they have these, 
you know, 16 team tournaments now, you're now hearing talk in the NBA and the NHL about playing games, about, you know, about about extra teams in each conference making it in and having some kind of wild card round. Because the more teams you get in, the more teams you give a chance, the less your poor management is going to have an effect on your team's chances to win a title. So making the playoffs even more sort of coin flippy and 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 expanding them and doing all these kinds of things give every club no matter how poorly managed and again i'm not <laughs> saying that teams are poorly managed but it gives every club no matter how poorly managed more of a chance to sort of rock paper your scissors your way to a title so against it by the way this is when i bring up your wonderful idea of having a group stage in the mls playoffs group stage. Um, yep. where the one seed gets to host all three games and the four seed in each conference has to go on the road for all three and has a higher hill to climb as a result yep. than we currently see. Playoffs are, playoffs are wonderful. Playoffs are memorable. Playoffs are a, a, a great test of a team's ability to master a moment. They create the memories we take with us as, as sports fans throughout our lives, but but they have to be... They have to be fair. They have to. They have to be an extension of a regular season. They have to demand something of a champion. Um, and right now, uh, MLS playoffs don't. And making them even shorter and more random will will do so even less. And how did we get onto this tangent? I don't know. But let's move to a league, let's, England, let's, that does let's, not let's, have playoffs, no, or at don't. least not but in the Premier League. Teams uh, winning titles in their living room. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> and Manchester City has won the English Premier League. Um, thanks to Manchester United falling at home to last place West Brom, uh, which was a result I don't think any of us saw coming. Um, and Manchester City has won. They're very deserving. They've set records this season in the Premier League. They may set a few more in the next few games to end the season. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about something you posted on Twitter uh, after Man, United, or Man City won and that was a very cool graphic that you've put together of all the shields, badges of the English champions going back in time, adding Man City for 2018, 20, 2017, 2018. And it got a lot of pickup. I think it's been retweeted 629 times since then. Um, Sid Lowe, the terrific writer in Spain, English guy, uh, retweeted it and said that would make for a cool poster. So think about that. You could franchise yeah, I don't that. Know. I've, done, I've done it a couple times before, and and it was it's weird when something gets picked up and when it doesn't. I look. I as I've said on this podcast many times, I have no life. Um, <laughs> How I, do you put this thing together? I guess is my question. I'm a I'm a grown man who who walks around his tiny apartment in sweatpants, muttering to himself. <laughs> and and so while watching soccer the other day, I just yeah, I mean. You know, control C, control V, and, and there it was. It's fun to. I'm a. I guess I'm a visual learner. I guess it's fun for me to to look at the 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 trends. Um, you know, and 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 you see you see clubs rise and fall, and and you can sort of follow it based on the, the logos. And so yeah, people seem to to dig it. Um, I don't even know how to do that though. I mean, like I, literally, how to put something like that together. Uh, control C, control V. Um, huh. yeah, find the logo and paste it. I, I, uh, and, and that's the fun thing is I, I can make you one for college basketball if you'd like, 
or or uh, all of all of Kansas City's pro titles. Um, that would that would be so a very big one then. Unfortunately, I'll give, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a discount. I mean, um, you should funny make thing, money off this, Brian. Franchise this. Make a poster. Right. I don't think. Well, I can't. I don't, I don't own the right. I don't own the logo, so I can't Boot make money it. off. I don't know. Bootleg. Um, oh, this looks like my flipbook idea. Oh man, I got to do the flipbook idea. Um, the other funny thing, though, is that because it's gotten some some traction on Twitter, it's really amusing to me how many people make the same joke, and they and so every I, I've had a hundred people make the oh there was so, there was soccer slash football before 1992 joke you know a <laughs> hundred people and and every single one of them thinks they're the wittiest guy out there and it's just really really amusing to see the same joke sort of cycle through my timeline but um well, you know people dig it and um you know i'll uh you know i guess i could do them with all the leagues if i uh, really get desperate for for something to do i guess the punchline being that there was a time when the premier league didn't exist Oh, right, right. That's the right people like on, on NBC, for example, they they said something like this is Manchester City's third, you know, Premier League title, which is just sort of a arbitrary I BS. I mean, I, 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 that is I a strange way to put it. But so, right. Yeah. But it's just that everybody made the same joke. I don't so. understand it when people talk about something being like this fifth time in Premier League history about something about like a history that doesn't really is, exists for very long and doesn't really apply because it's this an arbitrary, you know, English soccer has had a top division for. We're guilty of the same thing. In, we're guilty of the same thing in, in the NFL. People act like there was no, I mean, there was an NFL for, you know, f- almost 50 years before this, before the Super Bowl was created and branded as such. And people often behave like all of the games and championships and records and things like that that occurred before then don't exist. So we're, we're just as guilty of it. I mean, even last summer, I remember watching Confederations Cup games and they were saying stuff like, this is the third time in Confederations Cup history. And I'm laughing because, like, who cares about Confederations <laughs> Cup history? <laughs> I mean, it is a tournament. I, I Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different. I mean, it's not a, it's not a rebranded thing from another thing, I guess. Um, but you know, I want people like growing up, it was, it always bothered me when people ignored, you know, the Redskins 1937 and 1942 champ. I mean, Sammy Baugh, man, like that always bothered me, you know, that people just acted like those, those things didn't exist. Um, so, so right. There's been, there's been football in England for many, many years back to the 1880s or whatever. And it all fit nicely into a, a little JPEG, um, (laughs) And it was and Sheffield Wednesday's on there too, so that's cool too for for me to pretend that Sheffield Wednesday is a big club. So let's stay in Europe. Uh, I think it was on this podcast a week ago that you called UEFA Champions League quote boring. Correct. Did I use that word, or did I just make? Did I just say yawn really loudly? You might have yawned really loudly. I'm too yeah. lazy to actually go back and listen to nah, find out I, what you said. W- Pick whatever whatever was more obnoxious is the thing that I did. <laughs> so promptly, we have two of the wildest <laughs> days yeah, in naturally. UEFA. Thank you. You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. In UEFA Champions League history, uh, Barcelona 4-1 up on Roma finds a way to not advance. Roma with a storming comeback, 3-0 at Roma. And they advance ahead of Barcelona to the Champions League semifinals. The Boston Derby. 
where they will face Liverpool, also owned by a Boston-based owner, um, which Liverpool, after stunning Man City 3-0 in the first leg, beats them again at City to advance easily. Mohamed Salah scores again. Um, he's got a, an amazing number of goals this season, by the way. Um, and that header, that header, that looping header he just scored the other day off that long ball from um, the right back. What's his name? Trent. Yeah, Alexander, Alexander. Arnold. Yeah, right. Yeah, what a yeah, just so difficult, so difficult to do, and he just he just does it with such sort of. He's just so he's so smooth, you know. He's he's sort of a big dude, but but he 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 just plays really really smoothly and efficiently, um, and he's he's impressive. And Real Madrid at home, up three nothing, going into the return leg against Juventus, promptly gives up three goals, and then sets the stage for one of the most bizarre stoppage time sequences I've ever seen, where there's a penalty called against Juventus, a penalty that looked like the right call to me, and then Gigi Buffon loses his mind with the referee, gets sent off, and Cristiano Ronaldo converts the penalty for Real Madrid to escape a really embarrassing situation and get to the semifinals. Um, I don't know how... You're, miss- you- you're missing the highlight. You're missing the highlight, which was Buffon after the game <laughs> saying that Oliver, the referee, had a, quote, trash can for a heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the great quotes of all time. <laughs> I, oh, my God, I'm going to start crying. An amazing, amazing quote. Like he he should be given yes he'll be sh- sanctioned and suspended for the red but he should also be given some kind of award for that like, like the FIFA awards the UEFA awards before the Super Cup or whatever they do that it should be like a, a a lifetime quote achievement award trash can for a heart it's amazing I think that's a great poem that somebody could write it's, yeah or like a country music song yeah exactly. Um, what what got into Buffon here? First off, I actually I, I was fine with a penalty call. I I don't know if Buffon deserved to be sent off in that situation. Um, I, I it was certain there was certainly grounds to do it, but I still think that's more of a gray area. We don't know what he. I mean, maybe it's come out, but I, speaking now on Monday morning, I don't know what Buffon said. Yeah, nobody I mean, hired that, that a lip may, reader that to may find may out. Matter right? I yeah. mean, that may, it may matter the content may matter and we may never know what that is i mean the, i've never really i've never refereed it's kind of the one part of the game that i haven't experienced personally or firsthand um i know that i was hard on referees as certainly as a player but i felt like as a smaller player i sort of had to be my own advocate um because you know i was getting you know kicked and shoved and fouled so frequently um so so i don't know i don't know a lot about refereeing i sympathize with them um what I don't understand is why at every level it seems, especially the pro level, referees tolerate the – the what do you want to call it? I guess the term is mass confrontation in MLS, right? Correct. I don't know if anyone outside the US or MLS um, uses that term. But they, they allow these guys, crowds of them, a throng of them, six, seven, to get up in their face, scream at them, follow them around the field, get in their way. I mean if someone did that to you – in almost any other capacity, those are like, like, 
you roll up your sleeves. Like that's that's provocation, right? I mean, that's someone who wants to like get physical with you. That you know they're ready to they're ready to touch, to throw hands, and all that stuff. I mean, it's like it, it's intimidating, and 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 they let they let the players get away with this. I mean, I don't understand why. And again, ignorance. I've never refereed a minute of my life. I've never taken a referee class. But why don't they say before a game if you're not the captain and you get in my face, it's a yellow, done. And and it would it, I just feel like it would end this lunacy of after every no referee has ever changed his mind because a player screams at it. It's never happened, and it's just frustrating to watch. I think it takes away from the rhythm of the game. It it it, it I I feel for the referees. No matter how bad the call is, he's not going to change his mind. And they let these guys just get up in their face and waste five minutes following them around the field, screaming at them like a bunch of kindergartners. I don't understand it. Mass confrontation was actually the name of my MLS fantasy team one year. Um, I do. Uh, I never won. Um, but what I would say is, is that the stuff that Buffon has been saying in the days since, like he needs to give it a rest. He's a legend, and I don't want him endangering any of his legendary status by continuing. Well, we got trash can for a heart, but that's he a not- legendary. It's cemented. His legendary status is cemented with that quote. If you just left it at that, I think he could have kind of walked off, right? That is that is a mic drop. Yes, maybe. I think you're probably right. Um, <laughs> if I'm surprised, I guess I'm surprised. My my point of all that is I'm surprised that. And again, having not more disclaimers, Portland is a well-run team. I don't <laughs> understand refereeing. All right, just getting that out there. Quote that. But I don't understand why referees just don't like machine gun cards at guys when they're getting in their face and screaming and you see like the, the, like the, 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 the spittle shotgunning from their mouths and their faces are contorted in purple rage, you know, and they just stand there. Like card all of them. That's, that's the point of having the armband. That's the point of, 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 of the captain. And, I, and maybe I guess Buffon is the captain, right? Yeah. So I mean I guess – right. So OK. So there you have – what did he say? You know, was there, was there a bump? Um, did he say something about Zidane's sister? I mean, who knows? But, you know, I, I think overall and in an MLS as well, um, you know, we, I, we see games sort of being dragged into the gutter um, by the, the mass confrontation and, and, and the, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's uncouth. I, I don't enjoy it. Um, I will say this, that I don't, it, watching the replay many times, like the Zapruder film, it looked to me like Buffon only had c- contact with the referee because somebody ran into him and he kind of was really close to the referee. Maybe I'm reading okay. it wrong, but yeah, no, I, well, and, and so that's why I'm wondering what he said. I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't think unless he unless he threatened the referee. Like it's weird. It's like on one hand, you yeah, maybe it's a bit of an overreaction for the referee to to, to red card them. If he if, if he'd given him a yellow, and I don't think he was on a yellow, right? If he'd given him if he'd given him a yellow. Would it have diffused the situation, right? W- would it have calmed things down? Would it have let some of the air out of the balloon? I mean, maybe. I don't know. And again, that's why referees train and go through all the things they do to learn how to read those situations. But that doesn't change the fact that overall they put up with an egregious amount of shit. And if I was a referee, I would not want to be surrounded and screamed at by multiple – You know, you, what, the, the, the captain – sometimes you'll see – uh, a, a captain or a referee, a player talking to a referee, and they're having a conversation, and then like three of the guys' teammates will run over and start waving their hands in the air. Like I would just card all those dudes, <laughs> every single one of them. Like I'm talking to your guy right now. Get out. Card, card, card. 
If um, if there are any listeners, by the way, who want to record a country music song, Trash Can of a Heart, <laughs> we will play it on the podcast. <laughs> um, I would gladly play that on the podcast. Um, I may be guilty of that at this point as well. <laughs> they have a trash can for a heart. Um, lastly, let's talk about our friends at FIFA who are providing lots of good material lately. Um, one of those things being that at the Conmebol conference in Buenos Aires last week, uh, at the Hilton Buenos Aires, which is... You probably stayed at. Uh, I have. It's also, if you see <laughs> the movie Nine Queens, great Argentine film, large parts of it take place in the Hilton Buenos Aires, which is in Puerto Madero. Um, I think there's also been a lot of... Uh, shady combo ball stuff that's happened there over the years. It's also where I went to the press conference for Diego Maradona's testimonial back in 2001. Um, but anyway, um, down at the combo ball conference, they made a big show of combo ball supposedly asking FIFA to expand the 2022 World Cup in Qatar from 32 to 48 teams to basically go through ex- expansion four years earlier than planned. Um Supposedly, this is actually being pushed by Johnny Infantino and, and FIFA, and Common Ball is just the method by which this got proposed. Um, there was another story that came out that in the New York Times from uh, their very good reporter, Tariq Panja, that there has been a $25 billion offer from some Middle Eastern folks, I think, or maybe it was it Chinese, um, for the Club World Cup to be expanded and FIFA would basically let these guys from Saudi or something run this new. I didn't even know there was $25 billion. Oh, that's like pocket change to some of these folks like in the this Middle East. Collectively, I didn't realize there was that much money um, in existence. So what do you make of these ideas, expanding the World Cup in 22 in a very tiny country and $25 billion for the Club World Cup? Well, like we said, right? I mean, it's it's within everyone's interest to expand. I mean, I mean, well, let's be honest. The real issue is, can we get forty eight teams for this summer? <laughs> That's. I mean, if you're going to move it, it forward, USA. if you're going to move it forward, let's just move it forward to June. Russia, have you seen Ru- Russia's friggin' enormous? Like there, they there is plenty of room there for forty eight teams, and I think I think we could push this through. <laughs> I think we can. I think there's we, there'd be enough interest from some some wealthy and influential uh, global football power brokers in in two to three countries that I can think of maybe that that would be interested in making this happen. Why not? <laughs> I mean the, the 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 tradition and sanctity and purity of the thirty two the, the square thirty two team bracket it, it's it's been it's been exploded at this point. It doesn't matter, right? So so screw it. Let's let's do it in June. I, I, that's a, a novel idea. I also think you might as well go to 64 if you're at 48, which we no doubt will do. In right, we're right, in, and in Russia again, <laughs> Russia is Russia is a planet by itself, and you could easily, I mean, just from just from like Google Street viewing parts of Moscow, like like there there are so many roads in Moscow where I feel like it would take me an entire day to cross a street. Like it's just enormous. <laughs> so you could easily do. A forty-eight team World Cup. I mean, they may as well, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, if I don't know how Qatar logistically can do forty-eight, but I don't know how it can do 
32 and maybe maybe this is a political move to like you know they're they're having some squabbles with some of their their neighbors around the gulf so maybe this is a you know uh, a handout to you know dubai and abu dhabi and bahrain and a couple of, you know th- throw some games their way um you know it, it's 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 hard to argue when when they say well it's about expanding opportunity and it's about it's about you know increasing revenue that we're going to then plow back into the game and in, in, in countries that need the money. Um, it's about having, having more people attend the sport's biggest party. It's about make, you know, giving new countries a chance to dream and look what, look what expanding the euros did for Iceland and blah, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, it's just, a, it's just one tournament. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue against it. It really doesn't bother me to be honest. The, o- the only thing that I don't like about the format is the way the third, the, the, the three team group allows for sort of teams to massage results in the third game in order to ensure their passage. I mean, that's the problem uh, is there's an actually a technical flaw with that kind of competition because one team will have finished its, its games and will sit by idly while the other two can play to a draw on purpose or, right. or play to a certain result on purpose in order to ensure they go through and that's screwed up. But yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, teams, I, who cares? I, it doesn't bother. I, you know, I sh- we should also explain like why this is happening and Johnny Infantino needs more money to come into that's FIFA right. to fulfill the promises that he's made, which is basically straight out of the set bladder playbook, which is to promise a lot more money to each of the national federations around the world for whom that FIFA money is, for most of those countries, their main source of income um, for for soccer in the country. And unfortunately, over the years, for a lot of uh, putting that money in people's pockets. I was going to say, that's a, that's a lot of backyard pools right there, and, that 48-team World Cup. And so you know, FIFA needs sponsors. FIFA needs bigger world cups to have more games to sell more tv rights uh and advertising and all of those tickets and all those things um you know this we've heard for a while now too infantino wants to expand the fifa club world cup which oh this is such a stupid idea which is, this is this is the dumb idea well right i don't know Not i mean like it, it would cup. replace the confederations cup which as we talked about earlier nobody cares about that is true um and you know, if you have like an expanded club World Cup with the best players and 16 European teams in it, that's what um, Infantino wants to see happen once every four years so that FIFA can make a lot more money off the club game instead of just UEFA or CONMEBOL. I, and I and I think that's what it's about. I mean, it's about the pissing contest between FIFA and UEFA and, and <laughs> Charlie Stilitano about who can, you know, who can, uh, who's going to control sort of the the potential future revenue of, of, of club soccer. The problem with the the quadrennial you know, I agree. I mean the FIFA Confederations Cup can go away tomorrow and no one will miss it. But cl- club soccer is a is an annual exercise. You know, it, it, the rhythm of the club game is so much different from the international game. It's a weekend to weekend, you know, annual thing. There's a champion each year, you know, playing squads evolve, coaches move around um, you know, teams get promoted and relegated or whatever it is that they do. It, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a century plus of annual rhythm to the club game. And so a quadrennial tournament to me is, is, is not in keeping with that. It's disruptive. It's confusing. It's meaningless. I mean, you're telling me that the Champions League winner or, or the Libertadores winner or the CCL winner 
is is going to then play in a tournament they qualify for three years later, <laughs> the, the, the team will be entirely fundamentally different by then. It, it it's it doesn't mean anything. I I'm I like the Club World Cup as it is, and I think that the fact that it hasn't caught on as much as FIFA would like is largely, and no offense to these places, but stop having it in Japan. Stop playing it in the middle of the freaking night every year. Bring it to the Americas. Bring it to Europe. It's an annual, you know, you win your continent. That same year, you play for a world championship that I think is meaningful, that I think teams should want to win, and many of them do. Um, and, and, and it keeps with the rhythm of the club game. Um, if, if, if you're not getting the TV rights money and attendances and sponsorships you want, stop holding it on Venus, you know, and they do this every year. I've watched the club world cup final at three in the morning so many times. I can't understand why it hasn't been in the U S I can't understand why it hasn't been in Brazil or Argentina play it in France or Germany or Spain. It has been in know? Brazil, by the way, my man, I don't know if you remember one of the first FIFA oh, club right, world it, cups. It, 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 like in 2000. Like yep, it was yep, the yep. year that Man United agreed to play in it and did not play in the FA, in the Cup. FA Cup. Yep. Uh, well, that was also a, that was also at a uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but that was a, a an expanded like group stage, multiple game, you know, the the Club World Cup as it is now is quick, you know, I I think the South American and European teams, you play a semifinal, you right. play a final and you're out. H- having it be longer is 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 too disruptive, is too weird. Um at the same time, and I'll finish with this, at the same time when clubs, and I think, I think guys from Juve and Bayern and a couple other teams have said this, well, there's just too many games. Well, but it's on you, it's on you as well. If you're concerned about players' health, and I'm not the, obviously not the first person to say this, but if you're concerned about players' health and players' you know, training sort of, sort of frequency and regimen – um, then you can cut back games too. Everyone's coming to the U.S. this summer to play these games, right? Everybody. And I guess a lot of the World Cup guys won't come. But stop having league cups and two-legged cups and super cups and all this nonsense and extraneous bullshit and do your part so that then you can go to the FIFA on the high ground and say, look, the annual Club World Cup, it keeps with the rhythm of the sport. It's quick and easy. It could be a big deal because it's quick, because it's kind of special. And instead of doing it in Abu Dhabi, you know, let's do it in Madrid. Let's do it in New York. Well, I guess it's December. You can't do it. Let's do it in Miami. Let's do it in Buenos Aires, that kind of thing. And they just haven't done everything they can to make it bigger. And doing a doing a 2014 tournament every four years is ludicrous. It makes no sense to me. So I am going to strongly disagree with you, which Sweet. I which I rarely do. It doesn't happen that often. Bring it. Uh, and say, why not have the big fancy once every four years club world cup in the summer or at least the northern hemisphere summer and still on the other three years have the old the kind of current club world cup where you have just you know the champions from each continent i I, are you are you inventing that out of thin air as a possibility or was that something that was discussed i don't I thought even it, i thought it was one or the other i i don't know if it is one or the other in fact i don't think nobody nobody knows what what's what yeah, like, fair enough. I, actually right that's what, like, like infantino said he couldn't disclose the 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 the, the names of these bidders to even right. like the fifa leadership because he was under some kind of seal or nda or some nonsense yeah which is ridiculous um, but i mean like yes. people are pulling the stuff out of their butts but i'm just and i'm doing the same thing but i'm i am saying 
I would be okay. I would be. I, I would be. I would be. I would be more in favor with that. Um, but again, it, it's still it still kind of boggles the mind that teams would be qualifying for a tournament three four years a club team three or four years plus what what you're happens not, no, no, no 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 you're not qualifying three years out you're I assume you're taking the continental champ the most recent continental champion from each continent plus like a few other teams like I, the, no the, but the quadrennial tournament would be the last four continental champions um the last four the 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 proposal that I read yeah was that there were uh, there were 24 clubs in this new tournament right. 12 from Europe the four recent champions league winners the four recent champions league runners up or runner ups i don't know how you pluralize that um, attorney's general definitely anyway. definitely with an apostrophe you definitely <laughs> pluralize it with an apostrophe because that's how we speak english now um and uh and then the four recent europa league winners huh. and those are your those are your 12 now there's no chance when I called the Champions League boring, it was because it's the same teams over and over. And so there's no chance that of those 12 teams, you're not going to have some doubling up. So I have no idea what their plan is for that. And then you'd have to have playoffs for in Asia and Africa and CONCACAF. It's just it's, – it's overly complicated and unnecessary. And there's – we're not lacking for football. We're, we're not lacking for it. And, and I would like to see FIFA and the confederations try to make the competition as it exists now – more meaningful and visible and in front of people than than blowing it up and creating this bloated mammoth albatross piece of nonsense. Speaking of bloated and mammoth, did you realize that Chuck Blazer is the father <laughs> of the FIFA Club World Cup as well? I, I I knew he was the Gold Cup guy. I did not realize that he well good for him. Good for him. Because, <laughs> no, seriously, good for him. Because for for a long time that the club world championship was contested only by, you know, starting in the sixties or whenever was contested only by uh, South American and European teams. Right. So if Chuck is the one, whatever his motivation was, if Chuck is the one who got everyone a seat at that table, then cool. You know, you know, Manchester United is the only English club for all of England's history and the, and the, the, the powerhouse nature of their clubs, the marketing machines that they are, the talent that they stockpile the number of times english clubs have won the european cup i could we could do a little tweet graphic on that one as well manchester united is the only english club that can claim to have been a world champion they've done it twice and I, i'm waiting for you to add as you always do that jovan karofsky is the yes. only american male ever to be a world champion in soccer correct that is what i believe i think someone told me one time that there was like a guy in the U-17 Mexico, one of the U-17 Mexico teams oh, that won the yeah. U-17 World Cup was born in California or something like that. You're like, God damn it. Like, no offense to that guy, but there's always that guy. Okay, right? so but only American male at senior level. Senior, right. So I don't know. I, I don't think I ever, if I did the research, I have forgotten because it was a while ago. But yes, Jovan is the only senior American male to have been a world champion. He came on as a sub for Dortmund uh, when they won the Club World Cup in 1997 against whatever team they played. It's good to know. It's cool. It's a cool piece of trivia. All right, man. Well, this has been fun. I am out next week, but let's come back with Abandon in two weeks. Depends on how your, uh, your Icelandic root canal goes, doesn't it? Exactly. Talk to you later, man. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. 
Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon and now on Fubo TV. Recent guests include Becky Sauerbrunn, John Strong, Kay Murray, and Stuart Holden. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.